be implemented many ideal processes. The world's most practiced method for project management. Still has been um, a catalyst in my career. Hundreds of thousands of people with a Prince team qualification. I've seen ideal help organizations be more successful. The Axelos Podcast, bringing best practice directly to you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm joined today by Mr. Ulf Livoff, and today we're going to talk about Prince Stuart being Denmark, uh, one of the uh, case studies from last year. So, good afternoon, Ulf. Could you give us a quick introduction, please? Yes. Um... Uh, great being here. Uh, my name is uh, Ulf Lievoff, uh, and I'm a senior project manager at the Danish consultancy company uh, Globe Team. And we we develop IT systems and we deliver IT projects. So um, with a background in engineering, I've been working with uh, project management for about 15 years. Uh, and I've also been teaching Prince2 professionally. So that's my background and introduction. Thank you for that, Ulf. Much appreciated. Uh, so what was the, uh, the background to the case study? Well, the background uh, for the case study was uh, that the organization of uh, Bainet Denmark, and I should probably say a few words about what Bainet Denmark is. It's a governmental body uh, under the Ministry of Transport and Housing. And what they do is that they're responsible for, for train tracks in Denmark and also the, the signals and the safety systems and the, the traffic information. And uh, as a part of uh, managing the traffic information, they, they also operate uh, a PA system. And uh, they needed to replace that PA system because uh, it was operated manually uh, and they wanted to... Uh, uh, they wanted to automize uh, the announcement of uh, of uh, traffic information. So that was the the, the, the core background of the, the case study. <clears throat> okay, so what were the, the aims and objectives uh, for the project itself? Yeah, so the, what they wanted to uh, with the project was to increase the quality of announcements because previously people were sitting uh, at their desk and they were making real-time announcements and uh, this new system would allow them to schedule the announcements and record them beforehand and then uh, automize them and uh, thereby let the employees focus more on uh, uh, special situations that could arise if there were delays or, or, or situations like that. Uh, so it, <clears throat> it was to, to free up time for the employees to provide better information for, for the passengers. Thank you for that. So what was the approach you used uh, in the project itself? What was the approach? Yes. So, so when we met the customer uh, already at the, the first meeting, actually, one of the first things we talked about was uh, that we agreed uh, upon using Prince2 as a project management method. And uh, that enabled us to quickly get a common ground on terminology and the sort of project documentation that we were going to use. And um, as the next step, we assembled a core team of about three to five people and started developing these um, uh, project documentation that enabled us to, to manage the project uh, and where I had the role as uh, project manager. And sort of my, I wouldn't say hidden agenda, but one of my, my uh, intention was to say, okay, I would like to use Prince2 uh, as uh, clear cut as possible and try to make this as a model Prince2 project and see how that goes. So, so I'm, I was very eager to get start, getting started on that. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Within the case study, the 
the, because I have to say this was a very complex project as well. And for people who read the case study, you'll get, they'll get the flavour of that. But how was project planning and progress reported, conducted? And for in particular here was, the, you need, can you explain how you used Microsoft Visio? Because in all the experience I've had in the past, I've always wanted to do this, but this is a this is a live example of how you're using uh, the how the progress is actually shown on the actual uh, actual progress on the pro project itself. So, how did you use uh, the reporting, and how what made you come to that conclusion to build in Microsoft Visio? Yeah, well, to talk about that, I would like to start by taking a step back and and look at uh, what is the, what are the challenges in projects. What, what is the reason that uh, some projects fails, or at least that they become less successful uh, than they could have been? And what I've seen both in in studies and also uh, with my experience is that it's it's not often the technical challenges that that uh, leads to project failure. It's more a question of well, the root cause is often uh, misunderstandings, basic misunderstandings, or ambiguity in how the project is managed and and how basic communication takes place. So my goal was to to fight uh, on clarity and and make it things almost impossible to, to misunderstand. That was my goal. Um, <clears throat> and in order to do that, I, I wanted to have a clear plan that showed everybody all the deliverables uh, very clearly, showing information uh, that was needed, for example, the dependencies, but not having it cluttered with uh, a lot of extra information. Uh, and that is what a project, uh, a software like Microsoft Project, it generates a lot of data, start time, end time, deadlines, so on. And it's not something you actively put in there necessarily. It's something that's generated and it's hard to get an overview of, of what is important. Uh, mm -hmm. Furthermore, actually, it's, it's uh, difficult to communicate Microsoft project plans. It's not something that's easily sent through mails because the recipient is not necessarily, uh, doesn't necessarily have that software installed. And it's not something you can easily share in a PowerPoint slide and make corrections while you present uh, and stuff like that. So it's, there's a lot of challenges in, in using Microsoft Project. And I wanted to have the freedom to have the simplicity and the clarity that uh, that I wanted to have in the project. So actually, it was a question of using a basic drawing tool that enabled me to draw deliverables and dependencies and a few other informations and, and Microsoft Visual enabled me to do that. So so that was the reason for, for choosing Microsoft Visual. And, and I think that's hugely important because, as you said, one of the, the big, the huge challenges with projects is communication, but just communicating to senior management teams who have very little time and usually they don't have the, the software to really understand what's actually happening. And it's something so visual as well. And uh, that was something that really, that that is something that really shone out from the case study and was really impressive. Really great to see that. So, if I can, if I can add a thing to that, also, absolutely, uh, go ahead. 
uh, one thing that uh, I wanted to to be able to su to support uh, that was to to think about what kind of discussions are we going to have about the project plan and the overview of, of the project. And then I wanted to create some visuals that could support those discussions. And, and we actually coined a term later on, which was called uh, pointability. Uh, and what we meant by that was that when we talked about an issue, we, uh, it was my intention that you should be able to point at, a, at the, one of the overviews and di diagrams and say, this is the thing that I'm talking about right now. Because if you don't have that, what happens is that you start explaining and you sort of build up a mental model of, of, uh, regarding the things you want to talk about. And then you have to make your point based on that mental model. And you have to assume that the other person has built the same mental model in, in his or her mind. And that gets very complicated. So my, uh, I was thinking, what is the, how can I have a few number of very clear uh, documents that shows, that supports these discussions uh, and where you're able to, to point at the, whatever you're talking about. Um, so that was also uh, something that I was thinking about. But, that, but that's hugely important because of the, of the experiences I've had with projects. It's usually that's, that's the communication. That's where it usually falls down because you make the assumption that the other person's on the same wavelength as you are. Yeah. And then as soon as they, they leave the door, it's what did he really mean by that? I don't think we I don't think we can achieve that. Whereas if you've got that clarity, and uh, maybe that's something that we could explore further, maybe in a blog blog post, because I I think that communication is one of these huge huge things that it's still the number one problem. You know, yeah. it, it would appear that uh, we we love to talk as human beings, but we don't communicate. So. Exactly. Any hints and attempts that the to make the the project management job less less horrible, and it sometimes be, can be horrible unless yeah. you actually think outside the box. Be much would be much appreciated, and that's something we I'd probably like to explore a bit more, maybe after the case study. But that was yeah. great that, for me. That was like this is this is this is uh, addressing the communication issue as well. In a complicated, uh, complex uh, project such as this, how was the project business case maintained? So uh, again, I would uh, take a step back and talk about the project documentation as a whole, because uh, when you when you step into a, a project room or look at project documentation, it can sometimes be hard to tell the difference between a number of loosely attached project documents, uh, that is the, the plan and the business case and so on, it doesn't really fit together, it's not aligned. Uh, and then on the other hand, where you have this uh, coherent framework of documentation where you use the same terminology across all documents and there's one version of the truth and, uh, and, and, and all that. And so I wanted to establish that uh, coherent framework of uh, documentation. And that also meant that uh, I needed to Establish the common thread from from the tender and the, and the contract material, uh, and use those words uh, when we identified the deliverables, and then mapping our time tracking software to also use those same uh, words. and And actually, when when people had worked a number of hours and they re recorded uh, their effort, uh, that mapped into the deliverables, which then mapped into the the contract and. Uh, that meant that I had uh, full traceability of, of every hour worked. And uh, whenever, if there was some deliverables there where there was extra 
work carried out. I could explain to the project board that it was limited to these uh, deliverables and, and we could have a discussion about those specific deliverables. Um, so so uh, when I reported the, the, the effort that was being uh, put into the project and, and thereby the cost, this is the, the approach I used. And it also meant that I didn't have to do something, anything special in order to prepare for the project board meetings. It was more a question of providing a snapshot of what I was looking at at the moment, uh, because there was this coherent picture and that was immensely valuable for, for providing clarity for the project board. And 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 that and that's what they require because they they they've got they're pressed for time, and they've and they've got to make decisions, which usually yeah. mean we're going to commit more resource or or more money to to actually re, to make the project um, process more efficiently, as well. And but just looking at the the case study as well, you had quite a few work streams actually in there, so you had to have that level of granularity. Uh, and it was like a special case because I think it was about 12, was it Was it 11 yeah. work streams in total? Yes, 11 work streams and then uh, two additional optional uh, work streams. Uh, exactly. And that was just the first level of the of breaking down the end product. And then below that, we have all the deliverables that fed into the, the work streams. Uh, so we had to, uh, or I had to keep track on a fairly large number of deliverables. And that, that's why it was so important to keep this coherent picture and, and keep traceability throughout all the project documentation because otherwise it would be uh, it would easily get out of hand uh, but but focusing on traceability it meant that uh, it was actually fairly easy uh, because you had to expect things being aligned everywhere and as soon as you saw something being not aligned or not what you expected then you you, you it was very clear that you had to fix it um, and, and one more thing I would add about um, maintaining the business case. It also enabled uh, me to have a conversation with the project board when they wanted to see um, the amount of hours and, and money spent on the project. It was more a question of me and the project board looking at the data and sort of uh, finding out the next step together more than me standing in front of the project board and, and having to convince them that uh, I'm a nice guy and the project is doing well and so on. So having that data available was uh, enabled us to have a completely different conversation. Mm. And that and that's what I think every project manager should aim for, Wolf, is that sort of like a discussion rather than uh, as some project managers feel uh, they're put on the spot. You know, yeah. they, they need money, they need more resource. Or it's, or it's bad news, it's out of specification. But if you can have that level of dialogue, but I think that goes back to right at the start where you gave them the visibility and the understanding of, of how, how you've taken a very, very complicated uh, uh, project and broken it down. But you've got that level of control that you can bring it back up and just show them how well it's actually performing. But I mean, that takes a lot of thinking to do that. But I think quite a lot of uh, project managers probably need to concentrate on how they're going to relay a complex piece of work, which projects usually are, to, to project manage, project board people who are usually quite concerned because projects, have, uh, I've said quite often, are risky, scary things. Yeah. And and uh, this guy's basically, he's, he's doing this project and we're all at potential risk from it. But that's really, really good. And then the case study, the way you do it in the detail, it's, um, 
Excellent. It's been, been really great. It's one of these ones where it'd be really great to sit, be there and just watch it. And just to, th this is how you do it. Marvellous. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was an uh, interesting experience as, as well. You mentioned Scrum in the case study. So how did you how did you combine Prince2 with Scrum? Yeah, I think that's uh, interesting. And I've been reading about ongoing discussions online about Prince2 versus Scrum, uh, Prince2 versus Agile approach. And it's often framed as a sort of a, a conflict uh, that you have to choose whether to use Prince2 or whether to use Scrum. And also some people uh, talk about it as if Prince2 is the old way of running projects, and now now we have to use uh, the agile approach and Scrum and so on. And uh, in my in my mind, I never saw that conflict because uh, it was very clear to me that they were solving two different problems. So Prince2 was uh, approaching the project as a whole, meaning uh, business case, uh, risk management, and and so on, whereas Scrum was uh, focusing on producing a deliverable. And, and that is actually where, where Prince2 stops. It even says in the in Prince2 manual in the beginning, it says production of, of the deliverable is not scope of, of Prince2. And, and uh, I was very curious to using those two approaches um, uh, close to get very close together in this project because I was expecting it to, to be effortless. And I was curious to see where I was too optimistic. Um, but... Uh, if I the way I, I combine them was to say when I have the project plan or actually the, the stage plan and I, I saw the deliverables, we would have to pick the with the customer the deliverables where we had to use the agile method, the scrum, in order to produce that deliverable. And if we kept that level of uh, if we if we kept that sort of interface between those two methods, then it just fit together absolutely seamlessly. And uh, there were actually no hiccups uh, whatsoever. And even even the roles between the two uh, methods or approaches also fit together because in uh, in Prince2, you have to have a reviewer who looks at the product and says, does it meet the requirement? And that fit uh, perfectly together with the product owner in the Scrum approach. So, uh, so just uh, it, it turned out to be no issues uh, whatsoever and it, it was the first time I, I tried to combine these um, these uh, approaches uh, that closely and it, yeah it was a good experience <clears throat> and, uh, and and I've actually used scrum quite extensively with Prince too I think scrum itself is is marvelous for it's marvelous for product delivery because basically you get the product owner uh, involved they actually see the product you know being built like do you want it or do you want to change it we can't test this bit because we haven't built it yet. But what we'll do is, if you want it a different color, we can do it for you. But that'll be the next demonstration. And yeah. then you, you've got the idea is that you, you've got retrospectives whereby that didn't go right, so we'll improve that. So yeah. I I never saw a conflict. I never saw a conflict. Uh, I think Scrum on its own, you can't run a project with it because it's there for building stuff. It needs something to to fit into to be approved, to bring value into the organization. That's what Prince2 gives it, et cetera. And, um, and I always found it from a, from a project manager's perspective, if you've got a key stakeholder who's got a lot of money and a mm -hmm. lot, usually a lot of career pro prospects on, involved with this project, if they can see the investment mm -hmm. and see the product coming back, the confidence is really amazing as well. But, you know, the, the actual Prince... Prince two in two thousand nine. I think before two thousand nine, uh, the there was this 
time cost quality iron triangle constraint. But in the fifth, the, with the fifth edition, all the parameters were made equal, and that allowed it prints to, to become agile enabled. And the principles endorse and embrace agility. So it's uh, it works. But yep. as you say, you, you've got to give it a try. And what we did in 2015 is basically we had Prince 2 Agile, we the, the Prince 2 Agile product. And that was a result of um, practitioners like yourself basically experiencing Scrum. But not unlike yourself, not having the confidence to say, well, I really don't know about these ceremonies, retrospectives, what do they mean? And it, that's what it was based on, like giving them guidance. Then you think, minimum viable product you know this this is so important so important and the, your messaging is absolutely spot on you know so moving on with the uh, another part of the case study what were some of the challenges in particular setting for example particular setting up the project organization because it was a complex project yeah and uh, that has uh, that has to do with the supplier uh, customer relationship that uh, this project and, and many typical projects uh, exist in because uh, at least in 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 Denmark there's a tradition or a culture I don't know what to call it but uh, when you have these supplier uh, customer uh, projects then you usually have two or more uh, project managers and and the reason for that is that you have the overarching overarching customer project where within that project they want to 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 purchase something let's say an it system uh, that fits into a larger hole and then uh, with that it system comes the, the the supplier project manager and what they usually do is they they um, <clears throat> create a project management team which consists of in this case the customer project manager and the supplier project manager and Right from the start, that leads to uh, ambiguity because in the in the contracts and, and when you look in the Prince Two manual or, or whatever reference material you uh, you look into, they mention the project manager and they don't make this uh, separation. And and then it's understood that when when they say project manager in ninety percent of the cases, they mean the supplier project manager. Uh, and and but then if there is a conflict or the, the projects uh, turns into a dead end or, or something like that, then it could be the situation that the customer project manager says, as the project manager, I now choose to do X, Y, Z. And that sort of will, will put the project into a sort of undefined state. Uh, and, and that is not the correct time to have the discussion about what is a, a project Oops. manager. <laughs> um, so, um, so I've been thinking a lot about that but, uh, and, and, uh, Actually, the way it works, if I should put it into Prince two terms, the this, the customer project manager is actually the the representation of the user. So it would be uh, what is called user assurance in in Prince two. And and what yes. that role does what that role does is to monitor that the project manager actually acts in accordance with what the project board wants and what they have decided. And and I actually think this this. Uh, uh, confusion or, or or challenge in project organization it's it's very easily fixed actually it, the, the solution is to call the customer project manager anything but anything that contains the word project manager in this context uh, they are the project manager in the larger project but in the supplier project they should just be called user representative uh, user assurance uh, something like that and then all the ambiguity it just disappears uh, uh, within a moment so 
Yeah. Yeah, because I read that with lots of interest in the case study because, you know, because Prince Two always says it's, there's only one project manager. Yeah. And uh, so I read with interest how, how you solved that as well. But then again, that, that's you, you looking at the roles and responsibilities, who's got a particular role, how it fits within the project environment and context. Really, 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 really clear, but, but it solves a, a complex situation. Yeah. So what was really interesting as well within the uh, within the case study you got you, you got to the deployment part you know the 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 projects ready to deploy you've got the automated systems and then saint jude hits so what was saint jude for for the people listening to the podcast today yes well saint jude was a very massive storm uh, with hurricane speeds that hit northwest uh, of Europe, including uh, United Kingdom and also Denmark. I think Denmark was one of the countries that uh, was hit the hardest. So what happens was it had hurricane force uh, with wind speeds uh, just below 200 uh, kilometers an hour. And it was actually the the highest wind speeds ever measured in, in Denmark. And it uh, had a devastating impact on a lot of things, including uh, the rail system. It actually happened um, was the case that within two days, uh, <clears throat> more than 500 trees fell on the railroad tracks. So there were massive disturbances um, to the rail system and also uh, trains and equipments were severely damaged. I actually remembered seeing a picture of a, of a platform where the roof was just torn off uh, the whole platform. Uh, so that was the situation uh, that occurred just as we were going into uh, putting the system into operations. And then of course we got a report saying well, the distance, the the system seems to have some some hiccups. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so as we do, that's what happens. That's why we have contingency. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but that actually, uh, what was interesting about the uh, the project and uh, and running a project in this type of organization was really interesting because. Then in Denmark, they are very used to to different project risks, and they have uh, they have an existing risk management system. So when we did the risk management and did that at the initial workshop, our top ten or, or top fifteen risk uh, just directly fed into existing risk management in their uh, in their risk management. So. For the whole, all the things that we were worried about, we were just told, uh, oh, you don't have to worry about anything of those. You, if it happens, just let us know and we'll take it from there. So it, it just had this mental image of just the, you know, the way you put a, a power plug into uh, the wall and you don't have to care what happens on the other side. And that is actually what we did with risk management. We, uh, we just need, needed to focus on risk within the project, uh, that is uh, delayed deliverables and so on. Uh, so. With this massive um, hurricane, actually the consequences of the project was almost none. We, we spent about 40 hours examining uh, the consequences and it actually showed the system performed as expected. There were some underlying um, infrastructure um, issues, of course, that that came uh, that gave rise to, to different situations. But we just spent uh, 40 hours um, uh, looking into what was the effect of, of the, the hurricane, and that was it. Uh, so it was extremely uh, unaffected by the by the hurricane. So that that was justifying what you were doing. It was working, even with that hurricane hitting as well. Yeah, exactly. Incredible, incredible. 
You mentioned uh, the risk management as uh, just short, uh, just before. So, what sort of risks and issues were encountered in in the case study? Yeah. It, in a project like this, I mean, there was a lot of things, uh, as we have talked about, that went really well. And in a project like this, of course, there's always a lot of things that are, are uh, unexpected. And one of the more uh, sort of funny issues that happened uh, that was hard to to foresee, but when it happened, you could just smack your head and said, OK, we didn't think about that. Uh, it has to do with uh, when we went into operations, that is still in the testing phase, <clears throat> we got a report that... Uh, there was an announcement that uh, was not uh, carried out at the platform. And we, we were puzzled by that because we didn't understand uh, how that could be the case. And we looked into it. And it turned out that the announcement was going to be made uh, a little bit after two o'clock in the morning. And, and what, happens, uh, what happened, as we could see in the log file, was that it became two o'clock in the morning. And then the announcement was made, as expected. But then at three o'clock, uh, we returned from daylight savings time back into standard time. So it became oh, two o'clock. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, and then the announcement did not happen the second time because it had been deleted from the queue of announcements. Uh, and and then you can say, okay, of course that makes sense. It's a very simple uh, thing, but uh, we did not have that in the, in the requirements. Uh, and. I actually think we eventually came to the conclusion that it should not happen the second time, but it, it just shows that there's so many of, of small things that are very hard to foresee that things like this that we needed to address. So that was sort of a more a smaller, funny uh, issue, but we also had something that was a bit more, uh, so we also had some bigger ones. Uh, I can give an example of, of that, which is also in the case study. <clears throat> that, that would be good. Thank you. Yeah, and that is when we, uh, that was also when we put the system into uh, operations, just about testing. That's where, where all these uh, issues uh, happened. But just as we put it into uh, test operations, as, as we call it, of course, that was the first time we could see the fruit of our labor in sort of a live environment with, with all the equipment across the country and so on. Um, it was still running in a redundant system, so it, uh, and a breakdown wouldn't affect uh, the announcements. <clears throat> but what happened was that um, uh, these announcements, they started piling up and, and the system got overloaded and uh, it, it uh, went down, it broke down. Uh, and that was something we could not have tested before. So that was actually what we were investigating. But then what the issue, th what happened to be an issue was that our lead uh, developer which had uh, developed the core framework of the system. Uh, what I didn't know was he was actually just moments away becoming a, a father for the first time because his wife was was giving birth. And this was when we were showing the, we wanted to show the customer that everything worked. And um, uh, I, I was, uh, I, for a moment, I didn't know what to do. I just, I was just puzzled. I thought, should I have, should I have known about this? And then I thought it would be a weird thing to ask if I had no, no reason to ask it. And his, yeah, yeah, uh, his at, at the start at of the, the project, start. project yeah. said, "Is anyone expecting to be a father around about this particular date?" Exactly. It's uh, <laughs> weird. Uh, <laughs> so, so I thought about how how should uh, how should how should we deal with this situation? And from a Prince Two point of view point of view, you would say that this is an, an issue, it's a major issue, and you would need to sort of describe it, and it would go to the project board, and they would ask for an explanation, and so on, and this 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 whole process where you of, of issue management. 
And I was thinking about how that should be carried out. But then I, I remembered that when we did the risk management, we we had we looked at a large number of risks uh, to, and they, they have to be specific, otherwise you can't manage them. But then we had this sort of a catch-all risk at the end of the risk register where we say, what do we do if a key resource becomes unavailable for any reason that we have not foreseen? Uh, and that was exactly what happened in this case. And we looked into different options. Do we want to have redundant staff? Do we want to uh, train extra people? Or And we came to the conclusion with the customer that uh, if that was the case, then we should just let that deliverable be delayed and we will pick it up when the resource uh, returned. And that uh, so what I realized was I didn't have to treat it as an issue. I could treat it as a risk that occurred and where we had all the steps pre-approved and uh, I know I knew who to call and report that this uh, deliverable was getting delayed and so on. And it was just uh, uh, treated completely uh, uncomplicated and, and nobody had to sort of uh, be alarmed and, and hear about all the details about yeah, the, him being and, a father and, uh, and all that. And, and, and it, didn't it didn't become an issue which is usually associated with, with bad news. That's excellent. Exactly. And there's, so, actually, there's actually a follow-up to, to the story, and that was that after he, he became a father, uh, what happened was that his wife and his daughter, they, they slept the whole next day uh, at, the, at the hospital, and he just sat there looking out uh, of the window, and eventually that becomes sort of boring. Uh, and he had his laptop uh, in his backpack, so he actually, he actually fixed the issues uh, the next day, um, <laughs> and we're used to working remote. So, uh, uh, yeah, love so that, it actually that. got fixed uh, within a day or, or two. That was a funny, funny experience. So, what were the, the successes of the, of the case study? Yes. So, when we talk about the successes of the case study, I, I would like to start with the, the successes for, for the customer, because they got this system that uh, could give them automated uh, passenger announcements. Uh, and. And uh, this new system meant that uh, about 70% of their passenger announcement, they could be uh, automated. So uh, their staff could focus on uh, these calls that needed extra attention. Um, also, it enabled uh, Bene Denmark to monitor the uh, announcements. Uh, that is, they could see based on the situations that occurred where there should have been announcements, how many of those were actually announced and what is their success rate and, and so on. Um, and so they were able to monitor their performance much better. That's one thing. And also they were able to make, uh, to, they were able to pre-record uh, announcements, schedule them, make uh, templates for scheduled announcements and then have that, those uh, be fully automated. And it was a big, um, it took off a, a lot of work from their shoulders, from, from the people that worked with making these announcements. So that was the success for the customer. <clears throat> That's, that sounds really, really, really good as well. So what, what conclusions uh, did you take away from the case study from the work itself? The, the conclusions uh, from my point of view was that it was uh, very, very useful to make this extra e effort initially to keep all the 
project um, documents align. That is, see the project documents as containing sort of building blocks, and those building blocks should be mapped over to the building blocks in the other documents. So there's a common thread throughout the, the whole documentation. I mean, it was a little bit of extra work um, in the beginning, but it was it, it was so rewarding for for the project and for the effort as a whole. So I think that was uh, one of the the. <clears throat> the biggest uh, uh, rewards and conclusions from this project. And, and another thing was how much it paid off to focus on uh, clarity in the project documentation, having one version of the truth, one project plan. Uh, and if somebody wanted to see other information, let's say a stakeholder wanted to see some other information, then that would be generated from that one version of the truth. And, and to stick to that, that was uh, immensely um, rewarding for the project. Yes, and it goes back to what you were discussing before, taking a complex project situation and making it clear for all parties as well. For yeah. Going back to the pointability, uh, which is which is something I've really picked up and underlined because I really want to explore this more. This is really, really interesting. Yeah. Ulf, is there anything else you would like to add today to uh, so we can uh, wrap up the discussion on this really, really excellent case study? Is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, I, I think uh, there are two things I would like to add, if I may. Uh, the one thing is about communication. We have talked a lot about communication in this uh, podcast and about uh, avoiding misunderstandings. And uh, an anecdote of sorts is when I was uh, about to be vaccinated before traveling and um, at the hospital, I got off at the, at the wrong floor and was sort of a staff floor. And they had this uh, they had this display with a lot of small booklets and there was a big sign that says, please take one. And of course, uh, being uh, obedient as I am, I, I took one of these booklets and it turned out to be uh, guidelines for uh, hospital and nurse uh, communication. And what it said in this um, in this booklet was that you should communicate in a way that uh, you will discover when there is a, a misunderstanding. For example, it, and they had an example. The doctor would say, "Bring this patient to room number to, to room A," and then the answer would be, "Yes, I will bring this patient to room A." And then you both parties would know that they understood each other. So, so they had a lot of examples like that. And then in the end, they had a list of questions that you were always allowed to ask when you were in a high risk procedure, for example, a surgery or something like that. And they say, you should always be allowed to ask, uh, what are we doing right now? Who's in charge? What is expected of me? And I don't feel comfortable about this. I'm not sure what's, if we're doing the right thing. And those are legitimate questions. And I thought that was a very inspirational approach to communication that could be in, in one way or another uh, incorporated into project management where we have talked about these basic misunderstandings, they have a knock-on effect and, and delay uh, projects. Yeah. So that yeah. was... Because yeah. it's something that's so simple. But, yeah. but in projects, if you get it wrong, it's absolutely fatal. Yeah. Totally. And what was the other... The other, the, the uh, other uh, thing was that I... <clears throat> If you work, uh, if the listeners work as a project manager and are, are not certified, I would uh, uh, greatly encourage them to to get certified and and to work with Prince Two because I really think it's a great tool to work with, and especially the part that uh, deals with product-based planning. That is, 
taking a product approach to identifying what needs to be done instead of looking at activities that doesn't necessarily produce the, the outcome that brings the project forward. That That is one um, <clears throat> um, one part of Prince 2, which is really valuable. And, and when uh, you get certified, uh, you, you shouldn't and, uh, necessarily expect to be received, get a hero's welcome when you get back to your organization and you start talking about Prince 2, because uh, the journey about getting the organization uh, on their path to project uh, management maturity, that is something completely different that, that happens after you get certified. And that's a whole different story. But but step number one is to to get uh, the PRINCE2 knowledge and, and the benefits of using PRINCE2. Yeah, and, and, and that's what the certification does. It gives the practitioner the confidence to go back go back to the organization and have the confidence to to implement it and yeah. uh, that's what we found and uh, you're right it's it's the first step in a long road for an organization to improve its project maturity uh, model and that's one thing that i'm always constantly interested in and it's also the, the concept of Prince 2 champions in an organization which advocate the use the effective use of the method yeah but but thanks for that Ulf. all i can say today is uh, i really enjoyed the conversation and uh, unfortunately uh, our, our times is coming to an end i could be here for another couple of hours discussing things with you because it's been absolutely marvelous and uh, i really enjoyed the excellent discussion today so on behalf of everyone thank you very much for your time today much appreciated well thanks it's been great being here Presented by Axelos.